You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Good game today is a team party win. All signs are now pointing toward the Washington Capitals being moved from downtown DC to North Virginia. Boost my bottom! I'm boosting! Boost my bottom! I'm boosting! Boosting! What a freaking boost. Good morning, Vancouver 602 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Andy, good morning to you. Good morning. Gregory, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, I did mention we are coming to you live from the Kintech stu- Studios. Here's Jason Bruff to tell you more about Kintech. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Uh, we got a big show today on a Wednesday. Guest list begins at 6.30. Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts podcast, is going to join us on the program. We will talk about Vancouver's 4-1 win over the Tampa Bay Lightning last night with Jeffrey. We'll also talk to him about a new coach in St. Louis. Third coach firing of the year, Craig Berube, out in St. Louis. So we'll talk to Merrick about that at 6.30. 7.30, we're going to talk a little hoopies, but we're going to talk the business of hoopies. Ooh, business talk about basketball. Uh, Michael Vorkanov is going to join us from The Athletic. He's our national NBA writer. There's a lot going on in the NBA right now with regards to Stadia. I know you love Stadia, Jason. Well, no. The reason we got we got uh, Mike on is talk about NBA expansion because he wrote uh, an update on NBA expansion and Vancouver uh, was part of the piece that he wrote about. So I want to talk to him about that. Who are the candidates for NBA expansion and what are Vancouver's chances of getting that done? But yeah, there's a few uh, there's a few arena deals out there that might actually be kind of related to the NHL because Salt Lake might be trying to build a new arena. And at 8.30, uh, Ian Cole is going to join us. We've got an actual live Canuck on the show. He's going to join us at 8.30. So what we learn is are going to start at 8 o'clock today. Well, it's, not start. That's when they're going to end, too. So 8 to 8.30 is going to be what we learn. So Ian Cole, Michael Vorkanoff, and Jeff Merrick. Uh, reminder, we're giving away a pair of tickets for the best what we learned. Hashtag at WWL. Text to the Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650. Pair of tickets to see WWE's Friday Night Smackdown, commonly known as Fright Night Smackdown, uh, January 5th at Rogers Arena. We're giving away a pair of tickets for that. Throw a ticket emoji into your what we learned, and you can win tickets to go see WWE. Uh, that is what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them on the internet at bccsa.ca. It is Brock Besser's world. We are just living in it. His second hat trick 
of the season. His second natural hat trick of the season, Jason. The only other Canuck to do that twice in one year. Petri Skrico, not a big deal. Brock Besser hat trick. Canucks win 4-1 against the Tampa Bay Lightning at Rogers Arena. Pe- Petri Skrico, my uh, little Jason's favorite player. 85-86, Petri Skrico. Two natural hat tricks. You tell me Bray never season. did it? Two natural hat tricks in the same season? Wow. Nope. Nope. He didn't, wow. play, he didn't play that long for the Canucks. <laughs> or a lot of goals, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Natural hat tricks are tough. Uh, so last night, uh, an impressive win for the Vancouver Canucks, and we've been saying that. A few times this season and and especially a few times lately because the Canucks have won three games in a row now. Uh, it was not a great start for the Canucks, uh, but that's okay. Uh, the Lightning went up one nothing just one minute and 25 seconds into the game when the Lightning seemed to make about five cross-seam passes uh, before Braden Point put it home. Myers and Zadorov were out there on defense, plus Petey. Hoaglander and Besser, and none of them looked great on the play. Not to worry, though. Doesn't we don't matter. worry about that stuff in Vancouver anymore. Doesn't matter. This team deals with adversity. If something goes wrong in the game, they don't collapse. They just go out there and get the goal back. And uh, Andre Kuzmenko was the guy that got that one back, blasting a one-timer past Vasilevsky on the power play. Yeah, Kuzmenko needed that. It was good to see him shoot with authority and score with authority. Uh, but it was the second period where the Canucks won the game. They've been an excellent second-period team for whatever reason. Well, let, let's face it, all their all first period, second period, third period, they've all been good yes. for the Canucks. But the second period, especially with 40 goals for and just 22 against, Brock Besser scored both the goals. Uh, that gave him 20 on the season at the time. They were both very different goals. The first one, he swatted home a loose puck on the backhand in front of the net. The second off a one-timer from the high slot on a pass from Quinn Hughes, who went for a skate behind the Tampa net before finding a wide-open Brock Besser. Uh, Besser completed the hat trick late in the third on an empty netter, and he now has 21 goals on the season tied with Austin Matthews for the most in the NHL. The guy, I'm talking about Brock Besser, he just keeps scoring. And it is an it is a crazy story that we're going to talk about a lot today. Um, also, credit to the Canucks penalty kill, which went three for three against one of the best power plays in the league. We talked about the importance of the penalty kill, and I wonder, I do wonder, having watched yesterday, if we're going to see less of Miller and Petey out there going forward. It was guys like Nils Amon, Dakota Joshua. Those were the forwards that were carrying the mail out there on the PK for the Canucks. Three hit, three assists for Quinn Hughes. We, yeah, whatever. I mean, that's what that's what he does. Good, good um, job, Quinn. Probably worth mentioning that Victor Hedman was not able to play for Tampa Bay. So that was uh, an advantage for the Canucks. Uh, Hedman picked up an injury in his last game against Seattle, and he wasn't able to play against the Canucks. So a couple of takeaways from the game last night as we turn our attention to what the head coach had to say in the aftermath. Uh, real quick, running down some of the things he talked about. Kuzmenko scoring. Tockett was very happy. Apparently they had worked a lot in practice uh, about him getting to shoot the puck more. I didn't realize that that was one of the major facets. We always focus on the things he's not doing. They're defensively or on the four check or mm-hmm. not adhering to the staples, but Sat and Bick were talking about this on the post game show as well. Uh, there's a real sense of 
Kuzmenko needs to shoot the puck more, and I think it's because there's a predictability to him shooting as opposed to him trying to make a crazy pass and then the puck going the other way on an yeah, off Yeah, and, right? and, and it throws off his teammates out on the ice. Right. They're like, uh, what are you going to do, Andre? Yeah. Oh, give it up? Oh, okay, we'll go play defense then. <laughs> See, most of us were expecting you to shoot the puck in that instance, not make a cross-seam pass yeah. onto the stick of the opposition. So there's that. Um can you play the clip about – he talked about rest again mm-hmm. because this has kind of been a big story over the last couple of weeks, these you know frivolous days off that the <laughs> highly paid hockey players are getting. But uh, this is interesting because this is the second time in a row where they've had the day off, they've gotten off to a slow start, but ultimately I think maybe the rest plays itself out over the long run mm-hmm. in the second and third periods, and Tockett actually spoke about that. Uh, Rick Tockett on the rest – being a weapon for the Canucks, who have now won three in a row. I know it did. I, I thought early, I don't know early on because we were a little rusty. With, like it's, I thought some guys were fighting with the puck, but um, I think in the long run, and, and I, I think I told you guys, win or loss, uh, if we lost, I didn't care. To me, this was the right thing to do, and I thought there was energy today. Um, and um, even like after the game, I could tell guys were, they weren't spent. You know, so those 48 hours really helps. Hopefully it helps us for these next four games on the road. Uh, or actually, we one more game before we hit the road. Um, so there's a lot, lot of games, a lot of mileage on the plane, not much time. So I think the rest the, is going to help us, in the, you know, for sure. It's funny because uh, both times after they had the day off, their start was not great. Yep. In the Minnesota game, remember how bad they were yeah. to start that game. And... Um, and, you know, last night against Tampa Bay, uh, Tampa Bay scores like a minute and a half into the game. So, but but then in both cases, the team woke up and was the stronger team for the rest of the game. So, you know, look, they need to they need to rest. I mean, I think I think every coach that comes to Vancouver, at least the ones that have success, um, figure out that. You need to be rested, and you have to have your players rested, and that includes not overplaying them, um, just because it is more difficult from a travel perspective uh, for teams in Vancouver. There are not as many nights spent in your own bed. There are nights when you're just, or there are days when you're just like doing travel stuff. And even if you say, like, they shouldn't be tired after that, it's not a matter of like them going out there and like barely being able to skate. It's that 1% difference that might win you a hockey game in feeling fresher and feeling just better about your game. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really good game by the Canucks last night. I just I just thought they played really well. Um, Tampa had a bit of a push in the end, but if you look at the overall game, um, the Canucks deserve to win that game. Um, I do have continuing ongoing worries about the PD line. I don't know if last night's game by Kuzmenko is enough to get him pushed up to that top line, but I thought Petey was quiet last night. And I don't, just don't know if if you're looking at it, you know, like you, I like Sam Lafferty. Don't get me wrong, right? And I think he's been good on that line while Kuzmenko has struggled. And But I, but I think they need a, a pure finisher up there. And so that was a good sign that Kuzmenko played with some more authority because they need him in that top six. And I heard the post-game show talking about how 
Kuzmenko is a, he needs to be in the top six or he doesn't need to be, but like he's that's that's his role. And Lafferty, I think, should be in the bottom six. I think that's that's better for his role. That's where the guys should be. I mean, we're talking about don't forget we're talking about Kuzmenko, a guy that scored thirty nine goals last season versus Sam Lafferty, who's kind of bounced around the league, and the Canucks were able to add him for a fifth round pick. There are guys that should just be where they are now. Temporarily, sometimes you need to bump them around. But um, you know, I, I, watching PD last night, like I, you know, he wasn't. I mean, they, we hoped he, we hoped he would kind of be like PD is back after his last game. But you know, last night I, I just thought he was quiet. You so know what? Maybe get Kuzmenko up there on Thursday against the Panthers. You know what? The more that I think about it, the more that I'm starting to have more time for the line mates. Because um, last night we saw the NHL's leading scorer, Nikita Kucherov. And who does he get to play with or who did, vice versa? Braden Point and Kucherov, right? If you look around the NHL right now, most of the first-line centers that are you know, challenging for the scoring title have a pretty good running mate with them, right? For yeah. example, uh, we'll go Edmonton with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. We talked last night, Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov, right? You look at Sam, why is Sam Reinhardt so, so many goals in Florida? It's because he gets to play a lot with Alexander Barkov, right? Yeah. I think you could make the argument that of these elite centers, Elias Pettersson getting to play with a mismatch of Ilya Mikheyev, um, Sam Lafferty and a slumping Andre Kuzmenko, like that's not exactly in that class. And yeah, McKay- Mikheyev wasn't a, t- a top six guy in Toronto. He's only been a top six guy in the NHL since mm-hmm. coming to Vancouver. Um, and yeah, I, I, I listen, but I'm putting most of it on on Petey. Like I know Petey, you are. Petey needs to needs to play better. But I, yeah, he's those wingers. Sam Lafferty and Ilya McKay. Yeah. Like, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you, know, you, you look around the league. Like, in any other instance, you'd be mm-hmm. like, well, you know, what we, what we could do is just, you know, put JT Miller back on the wing and then give Pedersen his running mate. But they don't want to do that for obvious reasons because Vester's the, <laughs> the leading goal scorer in the NHL, which yeah. is still incredible. Yeah, you're not going to mess with that. But I do wonder when Pew Suter is going to be back. I um, really do. But just It just gives them... Uh, it gives them more options, and some of those options can be in game. Like if you need, if you need a goal, maybe you reunite the lotto line, right? You just that's that's what you do, um, and then Suter can bump up and play two C. You can have Teddy Bluger three C, and maybe Sam Lafferty as the as the fourth line center, or Nils Amon uh, as the fourth line center. Like it does add that versatility for the coaching staff, even during the game. But um, you know, listen overall. I'm not going to talk too much about the things that I'm worried about overall. It is, I just, I keep, I keep kind of like pinching myself at the start that the Canucks are off. They've got, they've got the most regulation wins in the NHL. They've got 18 regulation wins in what, 29 games? Mm-hmm. 19 wins overall in 29 games. They've got the highest goal differential in the NHL. You know, it's funny, like, I, I remember people would be like, you love it when the Canucks are bad because you can be negative. Well, we can still be picky about a good team, but it's a lot more fun to be picky about a good team. Like, they're doing well, but we're still like, yeah, but we'd really like Petey, that line to get going, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's more fun to talk about the things that can make them even better. So uh, there's another thing I wanted to bring in to this conversation, and it's actually one of the stats that really jumped off the page yesterday, is that the Canucks are now a perfect 16-0-0 when leading after 40 minutes. Like, and that, I, and that, was, that was the staple of, um, you know, those really good AV teams. Mm-hmm. 
those really good teams, they like if they had a, a lead going into the third period, they were able to lock down those leads. And really, that's a sign of a good team that plays with structure. Yeah, and it's funny because a couple of years ago, Tampa Bay came into Vancouver and kind of orchestrated a similar thing. Like, they didn't play great. They were at the end of a West Coast swing. I think it was the 2021-2022 season. They came in in March, and they just kind of suffocated the game. And I remember pointing to it and being, that's what a high-end knows how to win type team can do is they may not have their best game, but they know how to manufacture wins, especially when they got a lead, right? It's like, Hey, we got a lead. If we can just hold on to this, we're going to get the points out of it. Uh, Talkett also spoke about this laddie. If you can pull the audio for me, uh, Rick Talkett speaking after the game, the Canucks now after last night's game, a perfect 16, and O leading after 40 minutes. And I think it's just uh, they, they believe in the structure, you know, and they, they believe that we do the right things. Obviously, we get good goaltending mostly every night. That helps. But I think, um, you know, the shift lengths, uh, to me, um, are good again. Like, the 35, 40 seconds. Uh, very rarely, uh, for me, the last three, four games, we were extended where a guy would go for, you know, I'm going to try one, you know, I'll take another shot at down offensively. The, for the most have been really good or and and the guys are buying into that and that's helped us in the third period i know it has so rick tockett is in my mind easily uh the favorite for coach of the year at this <laughs> point uh but there have been there was another coach fired yep uh yesterday and it was tockett's buddy actually craig brube um and brube was the guy that took over the blues the year that they won their first stanley cup in franchise history and Left the sad club, Sealander, St. Louis Blues. Um, but it, it's it been going the wrong way in St. Louis for a while now. And I'll be curious to read some of the reporting that comes out of this firing of Craig Berube. Um, I just think that Blues team has changed so much since they won the Stanley Cup. But mm-hmm. when they won the Cup, that was a big, heavy team that could play the type of hockey that Craig Berube wanted them to play. Yep. But, you know, this is kind of the Jordan Cairo era now. And Robert and, Thomas. And Robert Thomas. And Ryan O'Reilly isn't there anymore. Uh, Petrangelo isn't there anymore. And it's just seemed like there's been a disconnect between the coach and the style of the team and the players on the team for a while now. And the Blues went and lost to Detroit. Is that their was the fourth straight loss? Yeah. Like, he was actually Berube, like Berube was the guy that I thought was going to be fired first this year, but we didn't see the Edmonton story uh, pop up. And uh, who's the other coach that was fired? Uh, Dean Evison. And, D- and Dean Evison in Minnesota. Didn't see that one coming either. Um, but this one, I, I thought, in my mind at least, was a little more predictable. The Blues are just, they're just in a, they're in a weird position right I now. Guess I was I, just, they're, they're just a little lost. I guess I was just surprised because I was, my initial reaction was, well, are you under really underachieving with the group that you have in St. Louis right now? Like they're, they're basically a 500 hockey team. And then when I look at what they've got on the ice, I'm like, yep, that's about a 500 hockey team. Like they don't strike me as anything even remotely close to the teams that won the Stanley Cup because uh, all the players are gone. All the key players that won the Stanley Cup are pretty much gone. Yeah, right? but this this happens sometimes, right? Like you you get these, and, the, and they've got the the younger guys that we mentioned, Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, and and maybe they just have to bring in a coach that's going to more mesh with them, and they'll build from. I named Drew Bannister up from Springfield of the American Hockey League. I will admit I knew absolutely nothing about Drew Bannister prior to this uh, promotion to the NHL, but he will take over uh, when, I think it's Wednesday, 
that he's going to take over. So that'll be his first game. Well, that's today, actually. So And now, oh, yeah, Thursday they're going to play Ottawa. So that's when he's going to get his first game behind the bench. So that's three coaches down. Uh, we will talk to Jeff Merrick about that. Um, coming up at the 6.30 hour, or sorry, segment, we're going to talk to Jeff about everything that's going on in the NHL. I guess since we're doing it, we should whip through some of these scores from last night because it was a super busy night in the National Hockey League. Connor beat Connor last night, so that was a big one. McDavid beats Bedard. Oilers win. They're, the Oilers is the problem now, okay? <laughs> it's a problem. I don't like it. I knew it probably had a decent chance of happening. What a fascinating start for them, huh? The Oilers have now won eight straight games. I'm not. They're not just winning. They're destroying people. They have outscored their opponents 38-13 to 13 during the eight-game streak. So to give you an idea of where they're at, they have not had a plus 25 goal differential over an eight-game winning streak since March and April of 1986, which was like... Oh, were they good in the 80s? Yeah, like if we're talking about the kind of dominance <laughs> we haven't seen from the Oilers since Gretzky and Messi and everyone else were doing it. So that's a problem. Don't like that too much. But How about that Bedard shot, though? The Bedard eh? shot was awesome. Wasn't that ludicrous? Yeah, like, that oh was awesome. Goodness. Right? And yeah, yeah, it was cool that Bedard scored in the game. Right? How does he make it go that fast without seemingly doing anything with the stick? Like, it's just you like, should be You should be a beat reporter and ask him, like, yeah. how do you make the puck go Connor, so fast? Connor, how did you do that? Could you please explain to me? Yeah, well, a lot of practice. Yeah, a lot of torque. I hear torque's a big thing with the, with the kids these days, the torque. Uh, the other Alberta team, the Calgary Flames, they lost. What a tough back-to-back for them. So they go to they go to Colorado. They got a two-goal lead in the third period. Blow it. Blow it. Not a single point. They don't get a point out of it. They got to go back-to-back to Vegas, and they got to take on the defending Stanley Cup champions. They actually fought pretty well, but they got a really good uh, goaltending performance from Dustin Wolf. They actually have a third-period comeback, get it to overtime, but then Mark Stone wins it in overtime. So Calgary only gets one a really tough back-to-back. That's good to know. Um, four points for Austin Matthews last night as they took care. They blasted the Rangers at Madison Square Garden. The Leafs did 7-3. to And then uh, the Winnipeg Jets got some bad news yesterday. Kyle Connor, who at a time was in that conversation with Brock Besser and Austin Matthews for being the leading goal scorer in the National Hockey League. Now, this was interesting because multiple reports said he's going to be out six to eight weeks yeah. with a knee injury. I think Rick Bonus might have said that. But he pushed back afterwards and said, we don't have a definitive timeline. Oh, okay. He's just going to miss the next two games. And then when we get back to Winnipeg and he gets all of his MRI and what have you, uh, we'll figure out exactly how well, long he's going to be gone. That for. is a huge loss for the Jets. For who had had an awesome start to the season. Yeah. It's such a bummer for them, right? 17 goals in 26 games for Kyle Connor. Nobody else on the Winnipeg Jets is into double digits in goal scoring. Like Shifley, it's kind of important to what Shifley's got nine and Perfetti's got nine, but you know, this is going to be a huge loss for the Jets. And, you know, you can legitimately ask the question, you know, like are they going to be able to hold on to a playoff spot? I think they probably will because they've started out so well, um, but they're certainly going to be under pressure now. Uh, so in other news, uh, Mike Sullivan's future, which now I'm personally tied to because of that stupid hot button, the hot take horn, hated that. Uh, the Penguins finally scored a power play goal last night. This is noteworthy because they went 37 consecutive power plays, 13 consecutive games, franchise record. And then they, it was so much fun scoring a power play goal in a 4-2 win over Arizona yesterday. They scored another one as well, so the Penguins are back. And even Jeff Carter scored. Like, it was a crazy night for the Penguins. It was and, like, everything's going right for us again. And finally, A-Dog 
Such an exciting day for you because the mm. NHL inv- unveiled its 27th version of the skills competition. I don't yep. know what and this somehow one made it more confusing. There's a flaming hula hoop involved. There's like por- <laughs> there's a porpoise that jumps out of like the water. I don't exactly gotta, know what's going they on. Got to disarm a bomb in three minutes or something. Right, but the biggest yeah. story. Essentially, if you want to boil it down to its <laughs> essence, they've created a, a sort of like mini tournament where the winner gets a million bucks. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Well, Washington Capitals, they're no longer the Washington Capitals. They're now the Virginia Capitals. <laughs> they're not changing the name. Alexandria Capitals. Uh, they're moving, what is it, six miles away? <laughs> now, the interesting part of all of this is that Ted Leonsis declined to take questions from reporters after the announcement today. It's the Capitals and the Wizards that are both moving to Virginia. Do right? they actually announce it? The, he, there was I a, thought it was there, a report. They announced plans. They announced plans. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was, this there was entire... a, I can't call it a presser because he didn't take press questions. But uh, that's, again, this is not, it's kind of a big deal, but it's kind of not. Like they're moving out of the places they've been for a long time. So there's that. But it's not like this is a relocation where they're going to rebrand and they're going to break out Virginia Cavaliers gear. Like that's not going to happen. It's just they're moving. I think buildings. people, I think people um, get confused a little bit when they hear, Wow, you're moving from Washington D.C. to Virginia. That's it's like a it's like a ten minute drive, right? It's, like they went from Landover, Maryland, yeah. which is the state north of Washington D.C. Okay. to downtown D.C. Yeah, and now they're going a little bit south. And like a lot of that's where a lot of people live. You've got audio on right? this, right? Um, we're gonna play a little bit more audio. Uh, all due respect to Jason's geographical breakdown of the D.C. area and the corresponding states. But here's uh, the latest from the Wizards and the Capitals moving out of D.C. and moving to Virginia. All signs are now pointing toward the Washington Capitals and the Washington Wizards being moved from downtown D.C. to northern Virginia. As you mentioned off the top, 7 News can confirm a 9 a.m. event tomorrow at Potomac Yard in Alexandria, Virginia. Ted Leonsis, the majority owner of the Caps and the Wizards, will be there alongside Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin and Alexandria Mayor Justin Wilson. The belief is that there will be some sort of an announcement for the construction of a new arena that will be home to the Caps and the Wizards. Just yesterday, Virginia lawmakers voted to approve the plan for the construction of an 8 million square foot sports and mixed use campus at the Potomac Yard site. At the moment, the project still has to be approved by the Virginia General Assembly and Alexandria City Council. So a few things on this. Uh, we still don't know where the Washington commanders are going to move. Mm-hmm. Um, they might head to Virginia as well. We're but all going to Virginia. Bringing it back to the two teams that are almost definitely going to move to northern Virginia. Uh, the Wizards are currently 3-19. Uh, and 19. Yet they're not the worst team in the NBA. <laughs> yeah. Detroit Pistons are... Two and twenty-one. The San Antonio Spurs are three and nineteen. But what's going to be interesting from this perspective, from a hockey perspective, is what are the Washington Capitals going to be once Ovi leaves that team? Like he has been that team for almost two decades now, and this kind of feels like an opportunity for the Caps to rebrand themselves once they move up because Ovi's not going to be on that team. When, when they move out of D.C. Yeah. I wonder if they'll hire him as general manager. <laughs> He's just been responsible for so much of their franchise value. Before Ovi came there, it was like they had that dalliance with, 
Yarmir Yager. I know they went to the final, but it was like half Red Wings fans. Peter Bondra. Peter Bondra. Yeah, it was like, yeah. and they and they were Rod um, Langway, no the minister, Rod Langway, the Minister of Defense. Yeah. You know, when I was growing up, the Caps were always like they were a good team. Mm-hmm. They were never great. They never made it to the Stanley Cup final, or they never won the Stanley Cup. But they were good in that Patrick division. Mike Gartner, like Adam that. Oates. Yeah, like they they, they had Joe good Juno. teams and they had good attendance, and then they totally fell off. And that's actually after they moved downtown. But then Ovi came along. And Ovi has been that franchise for so long. I just think it's going to be interesting to see what's next for that franchise. Because they got to start thinking about it now. I've, I've always felt like it's totally ridiculous to be like, well, these next two years are going to be about Ovi breaking the record. Like well, That's what they are. But it, no, it can't be. It's, but it that's is. so stupid. Maybe it is for the fans, but behind the scenes, I think they need to be planning thing. 1,000% for the future. Otherwise, as soon as Ovi's gone, people are going to be like, yeah, I, I don't really care about that's hockey. That's why they're going to go sign Ethan Bear so they can set up Ovi in his office on the power play. <laughs> Everything's about Ovi right now. Mook out that. Uh, sticking with the NBA, because we mentioned the Washington Wizards there. Uh, so, good old Draymond Green was eligible to return from suspension. And he did so last night against the Phoenix Suns. And then he... For, I can only be described as a the worst um, accidentally on purpose punch I think I've seen in pro sports. He hit the Suns forward, Yusuf Nurkic. Tried to make it look like he got tangled up with Nurkic and then was flailing about. I can't control my arms. Oh, they hit you right in the face. But one quick look at the video, and they're like, ooh, that's a I'm just going to start punching air. Yeah, basically. you feel that air. (laughs) Uh, Now, the best part of this whole thing was we've reached the point in Draymond Green's ass hattery and clownery that people are starting to feel sorry for him. Like Yusuf Nurkic, here's the quote. <clears throat> this is after the game when he's talking about getting punched in the head by Draymond. <clears throat> I don't know, man. I was behind the play. What's going on with him? I don't know. Personally, I feel like that brother need help. <laughs> I'm glad he did not trying to choke me. But at the same time, it had nothing to do with the basketball. So we're at the point where guys are like, they're not even mad anymore. They're just like, he needs to get the help he, he needs, and we'll all be better for it. You read that verbatim, I'm assuming? Yeah, that was verbatim, was I it? took some creative liberties, but the, <laughs> there were a couple. Uh, I feel like that brother need the help. That was all Yurkic. He mm-hmm. did that all on his own. Anyway, or Nurkic, sorry. Uh, anyway, it's it's gotten past the point of even being kind of funny and comical, although I guess we're bringing it up on the Halford and Bruff show, there's, so there's something to it. But like, he really can't play basketball anymore. Mm-hmm. Draymond, he can't even fit, bit, you know, spurts and whatever. Flailing but, is the way you describe his game too, right? Yeah, and and desperately clawing to hang on. Well, and the the uh, Golden State Warriors are desperately hanging on, clawing on to whatever's left of their mm-hmm. their old selves because they're basically a, a 500 They're 10 and sub, 13 right yeah, now. Yeah, they're a sub 500 basketball team. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, basketball Phil brought up the other day, is not playing well. Mm-hmm. It's really Steph Curry and then like the the remaining vestiges of their last championship team. Yeah, and it's not good, and it's not good. Anyway, Mook, how that? Dogs, you guys got anything today? All quiet on the dog. A dog had one. Yeah, and a dog's now staring daggers at Laddie. Yeah, he, he wants me to do one. it, I think. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I remember what it is. Yeah, okay. Um, but you'll have to help Laddie help me. Um, 
It, okay. Good start. I, so, fa- I found the what we learned, but it's more of an A-Dog style. You know when moment. you're g- giving somebody a Christmas present <laughs> and you don't give it to them and your parents actually do it for you, and then you're like, can you just say it was from me so I look like I look good here? So your parents I, I buy it. I completely forgot about it. They so, write the card. Exactly. They wrap it That's for you. That's kind of the situation going on behind the scenes right now. I'm taking all the credit for it when really I did zero of the work and <laughs> I just feel bad. But Laddie was like, hey, dog, this sounds like a you what we learned. Just because of my side job, as some may know, I work at, in the, the liquor industry. I work at a craft beer store. So. Yep. Um, anyways, um, apparently they're making uh, Doritos-flavored liqueur. Is that correct, <laughs> That's Laddie? correct. PepsiCo has entered a contract with Empirical, a Dutch-based company known for making weird booze. Yep. And their first spirit will be based off the nacho cheese flavor of Doritos. Yep. And, quote... It tastes just like the real thing. Oh, terrific. Uh, so there you it go. It is a clear liquor, 84 mm. proof, so it's got that Doritos kick to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the best Doritos I've ever had. Do you, think, do you think if you're by yourself drinking that on a Friday night, that is the rockiest bottom that ever has ever existed? I don't know. To me, that sounds like a great night. <laughs> no. He's, you can't. That's rock, that's rock bottom. Yeah, like, that is, you no one will thing? ever be I hung out at home and drank some uh, Doritos liqueur. What, and just get, just get wasted. Drink some Doritos. <laughs> you, you what? <laughs> oh, I have a terrible hangover. It oh, tastes God, like Doritos. Doritos liqueur. Yeah. Should have drunk that last bag. Wow, 65 uh, bucks a bottle. It's not cheap. So this, Who's their this better be the best well, Doritos liqueur I've ever this had. Is, this is obviously. Designed. I actually do have a question: Is yeah. there a Cool Ranch flavor? Not yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> yet being the here it is. Just don't hold your breath for a Cool Ranch follow up. Oh no! Well, the reviews are in, and shockingly, the Doritos liqueur is not a hit. <laughs> I, I'm surprised it's not, it's not actually in the states. I guess you could do like those really like when you wanted those attention grabbing cocktails that no one would actually. You order one and then you take a picture and put it on Instagram and then you never drink it again. Yeah, like those kind of things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But outside it's of a novel, that, it's a novelty cocktail. Yeah, sure. like what are you gonna do if, again if you sit around and you're like routinely drinking Doritos? Mash or whatever the hell yeah. it is. It's my favorite drink. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess I have a small. Uh, I have a. I have a little one. I have a tiny one. You sure tiny. Do. What we learned uh, that I thought of as uh, as soon as I read it, I thought of Bruff. Is it tinier uh, than my he, hat? Because Bruff loves his eighties movies. Yes. Uh, so this is right up your wheelhouse, Bruff. Uh, there apparently there's going to be a Beverly Hills Cop Four coming out on what? Netflix the summer of 2024, and the trailer releasing tomorrow. Oh, I'm excited for that then. I hope Hills it's good. Four. Eddie I Murphy, hope it's, of course, starts. They got to go back to like hard edge. But can Eddie Murphy do that anymore? I don't know. When was the last time? Like, it's crazy how he's gone from like he was, I mean, his, his, one of his comedy specials was called Raw. And it was yeah. like that suited what he was. Mm-hmm. As a comedian. This cast is incredible. Because the first Beverly Hills Cop was obviously amazing. The second one was fine. The third one was an absolute embarrassment. It took place at like, uh, I think it was supposed to. smirched the name. No, it was, yeah, and then they were like, and and that was like Eddie Murphy, and then all of a sudden he's doing mostly like kids movies and that sort of thing. I don't think I ever saw two or three, but I I loved one. Two was okay. The third one was, it took place at like an amusement park or something like that. I'm like, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. So, but, but I just wonder if Eddie Murphy can get back to that role. So yeah. the, the title of the film is actually Beverly Hills Cop, colon, Axel Foley. Right. Oh, okay. So there's going to be a big focus on Eddie Murphy reprising his role as like Axel Like when was the last time he was like said a bunch of swears in a role? So no. Right. 
Um, yeah, because he's done a lot of like Norbert movies, right? Yeah, a lot of kids' movies. Too. <laughs> yeah, right. Just put on the fat suit and don't swear. Um, Kevin Bacon, Joseph Kevin, Gordon-Levitt, Judge Reinhold, yes. Bronson Pinchot. Nice. Better known as well, he was Balky, in all the other right? ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He well, not all the other ones. He was in. The, he was in the first one. I'm he ran gonna, the art gallery. I know, but not to be morbid. I'm mostly surprised most of these people are alive. Paul Reiser, remember him? Yeah. yeah. Well, he was. In, he's, he's. He was in all these. That's right. What I'm like, saying. Yeah, yeah. He was. He was. So he was. Uh, Paul Reiser wasn't he his partner in Jeffrey, Detroit? Jeffrey Friedman. Yeah. Bronson Pinchot was just the singular name Surge. Yeah. He was the. He was the art gallery guy. Yeah. Wow. Fun times. Okay. 2024. Right. Axel Foley. Let's see it. Mark your calendars. Uh, joining us now, Canucks defenseman Ian Cole here on the Halford and Breff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Ian. How are you? Hey, guys. How are you doing? Uh, we're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. Uh, let's start with the immediacy. Last night's game, uh, good win over the Tampa Bay Lightning, your team's third in a row. Perhaps most importantly, a perfect PK, three for three against a pretty good outfit in Tampa Bay. Uh, give us your thoughts on the game and how well the penalty kill performed. Um, yeah, well, I'm good. Um, obviously, be a team like that who can create a lot and make things happen every time they touch the puck. Uh, I think it was uh, it was a good good game for us in that sense. Um, PK was good. Yeah, I think I've been trending in the right direction there. Um, I I personally think that we're better than our percentage. Um, I think there's been some unfortunate things that have gone on uh, with PK, but you know, for the most part, I think we've done a really a really pretty good job all season. So. Um, you know, hopefully we're kind of seeing that uh, that percentage hopefully catch up to where I believe what level we're at. I believe we're at. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, it was it was a good one for sure. What are this is a very broad question, but what are some of the the keys to the penalty killer to the penalty kill for for a for a player like you? Oh man, <laughs> yeah, it's a long um, list. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd be out here for an hour. So. Um, <laughs> but the, um, but I, mean, I think ultimately what it comes down to is, is getting the puck back and getting clears, right? You're, you're a man down against other teams, five best players. So, um, you know, a lot of times that ends up being your execution needs to be really good. And if you sit in your zone for an extended amount of time, there's a good chance they're going to soar. So, being able to get pressure, get pucks, get clears um, is huge. And I thought that was one aspect that we did a, did a good job with last night. Is it hard to figure sometimes when to kind of go for the turnover? Because sometimes if you get too aggressive against some of these good teams, they're like, they almost welcome the pressure and then they'll find the open man. And then you're, then you look, it looks like you're running around. Right. No, you're, I mean, you're absolutely correct. Um, you you want to pressure, you want to take away time and space. You know, that being said, they have an open guy somewhere, all right? Maybe two. So, um, you know, a guy like, for instance, like he'll welcome that pressure. He wants you to come at him. So you want to pressure him because you don't want to give him time and space, but you also don't want to run um, if he's able to, uh, you know, because he'll he'll make plays through you, he'll make plays to open guys, and he's done it for years. So, you know, it's 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 a bit of a balance there. You try to weigh those things as best as you can, and you're you know you're making reads and making decisions, uh, you know, in 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 you know small portions of seconds, and you're hoping all you're hoping they're good ones. 
We're speaking to Canucks defenseman Ian Cole here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Yeah, Ian, I mentioned that uh, you played Tampa Bay last night, one of your former teams. You had seven stops prior to coming to Vancouver. This is your eighth, but this is the first time that you've ever played in Canada. Now, you're 29 games into it. It's only been a few months. I know you had a bit of the summer in training camp as well, but uh, early returns, early thoughts on playing in a market where hockey is very, very, very clearly number one. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, listen, I, I've enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, the team's doing well. Uh, we're winning hockey games. Um, so things have been going well uh, on the hockey front. You know, Vancouver's a fantastic city to be in. Um, Everyone here has been so welcoming and fantastic uh, to me and, and our family, and um, so uh, and multiple facets. It's, it's been great. Um, you know, I, I understand the you're in a bit of a pressure cooker. You know, things can change very quickly. <laughs> the uh, yeah, but but so far it's been good. Uh, you obviously spent time in the Pittsburgh organization with approximately two thirds of the Canucks front office <laughs> and a coaching staff. Actually, now that I think about it, um, your time in Pittsburgh with Rutherford and talk et cetera, how much did that play into the decision to come to Vancouver? Well, there's, there was definitely some familiarity there and, um, you know, with, with Jim and talk and, you know, obviously them playing with some of the guys as well. And, you know, Sarah Goncher helping out with the D and, you know, knew Adam foot a little bit. Uh, through his son Cal and, and through our, our agency, um, you know, I mean, I, the quality of people that are here, uh, you know, I, I think are absolutely fantastic. So, um, just the, the how successful they are in the hockey realm, but also outside of that, um, you know, it was, you know, when they when the option kind of came on the table, it was uh, it was one that I really really. Uh, really felt was a was a great option for me and, and, and moving here and the hockey opportunity, but then being around those people uh, just in general was uh, was huge for me. This is a question that came in from a listener, so I can't take credit from it, but it, for it, but I think it's a good one. What's the difference between Rick Tockett, the assistant coach, and Rick Tockett, the head coach? You know, um, that is a great question. So, I don't know. I think sometimes when, when coaches – can become head coaches, assistants become head, I should say. They, you know, try to, like, they try to be more of a head coach. Right, right. Right? And you Which, can like, see I, it. I, I, yeah. I get it, right? You're the boss. You're the captain. Nick, the buck stops with you. I, I get it. But I'll say, man, like, like, talk has been, like, talk is still approachable. Like, he will talk to anyone, anytime. He'll talk through any play. You know, he has no problem guys coming to his office, either with, requests or um you know just questions or or whatever so in terms of that like talk is is one of the most genuine like hard on his sleeve say what he means honest guys and um but but he's still approachable which i think is a really kind of unique balance there and you know he's very demanding you know he's uh i mean you know you hear him you know when he talks to us there's press conferences and he's like yeah, this guy had a hat trick, but like he could still be a lot better in a lot of in a lot of ways, um, which I think you know is not necessarily a bad thing. Like he'll acknowledge the good stuff and he'll say, "Hey, that was a great play or a great game or a great shift or whatever," um, but he'll hold you accountable for the things that you know aren't quite perfect. And um, you know, we all realize we're never gonna you know probably meet perfection, um, but having that expectation that things could always be better uh, is a good thing. But he does it in a very approachable um, and you know, not like kind of demeaning way. 
Um, so, you know, I think he's a, he's a fantastic coach, fantastic guy. And, and from him being going from assistant to head, it really hasn't been, uh, too much of a change in terms of how we treat the players, which is, uh, which is really unique and, and really great and speaks to, speaks to him. We're speaking with Canucks defenseman Ian Cole here on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Ian, you won a couple of Stanley Cups with the Penguins, and you played on teams that were either on the verge of winning the Cup in Colorado or had already won a few Cups in Tampa Bay. Now, obviously, those teams all had elite talent, but what else does it take beyond the elite talent to win in the NHL? And have you been able to kind of share some of those lessons with your new teammates? Yeah, I mean, um, and that's one that, you know, you mentioned elite talent. You know, I think about our team and we obviously definitely have that, definitely check that box, right? Um, But there's a, in all these organizations I've been in, there's been a culture of winning for, an extended amount of time, um, either before or after or during. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, this team is the young players aren't so young anymore. I mean, they're certainly not old, um, but they've gotten to a point where guys are like tired of losing. Um, and we came into this season uh, as a team with the expectations that, hey, we're, we're, we need to turn this around. We need to turn this around right now. Um, so I can't say enough, you know, great things about, the you know, young leadership Michael. on this team um, and how determined and driven they were to change the, you know, not just the narrative, but just kind of the overall feel going to the rink and, hey, we're going to expect to win hockey games. Hey, if we're tied or we're up by a goal, like we're going to close this game out. We're not going to, um, you know, falter or let a team back in the game. And yeah, sure, you know, that happens, but it's not going to be a consistent thing. We're going to, we're going to win these games. Um, so having that mindset that, that we are a winning team and we are going to win um, has been uh, has been great here so far, and, and it's certainly a staple of all those teams that that have that um, you know that kind of that winning pedigree. What have you seen from Quinn Hughes as a captain? Like we see what he does on the ice, and we see him in interviews, and he's he's I mean he speaks well, but I would probably describe him as more soft spoken. Um, you know, you've played with some of the best leaders in the NHL. Um, what have you seen in Quinn as a captain? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, not every captain needs to be, you know, loud and boisterous, one or two, you know, extremely, you know, wordy, whatever. Um, he's He lets his play do a lot of the talking in the sense of he is a uh, – you know he's a kind of a, a more quiet leader, but but he always does. You know, he's always striving to get better. He's always out there working on his game. He's always he has zero hesitation to say stuff in the locker room. Um, you know, listen, and 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 that's you know there's there's a lot of parallels to the different leaders that I played with, and you know, but I mean you look at a guy like Sidney Crosby, who you know he's not overly wordy in the media. He kind of he says his piece, he gets to the point, and he and he gets it done with. Maybe that's a product of doing media every single day. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, he hates uh, us. Um, which, which I don't blame him. very much does. <laughs> um, you know, I think there's only so many things you can say about, you know, the, the game of hockey. But um, I don't know. But uh, but listen, like these guys who are elite talents, right, they, they bring guys along by – they play their game. They're so elite at it. They're constantly working on it. They're constantly trying to get better. Um, 
And as a as a teammate, you can't help but see that and think, well, I need to I need to improve. I need to get better. Um, and then on top of that, right, whatever they say carries a ton of weight. So when they do talk, when they do make a point, um, it, it's very well received. So you grew up in Ann Arbor, but you played your college hockey at the University of Notre Dame. Um, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but were the Wolverines not interested or something? <laughs> you know what? They were. Uh, they were just, uh, at the time, uh, they were offering me a half scholarship or, or partial money. And um, my dad, uh, you know, I saw kind of how it worked out. I got a, a scholarship offer from Notre Dame, like sophomore year of high school. Um, they were the first ones to offer me. But I sat on it for about a year. Uh, and in that meantime, I had scholarship offers from pretty much anywhere else in the country I wanted to go. Um, you know, I committed to the U.S. national team. I was a good hockey player. Um, but Michigan was kind of the one lone wolf who was like, eh, we'll give you a half scholarship. <laughs> and my dad was like, uh, yeah, I'm not paying for you to go, to go to school where you can go anywhere else you want to go for free. So <laughs> pick somewhere else. So do you cheer for the Wolverines now, or, or do you kind of cheer against them? They got a big football game coming up against Alabama. Yeah, listen, I mean, I grew up going to every Michigan sporting event. Like, my dad went to Michigan. My sister went to Michigan. Um, we uh, went to every football game, every hockey game, basketball game. So, I mean, listen, I, I love Michigan. I grew up with Michigan. Yeah, I love Notre Dame more. I hope Notre Dame wins every single time they play in any sport. Um, but, for instance, when Michigan plays Ohio State, like I still hate Ohio State way more, or Michigan mm-hmm. State. So I'm uh, I am fully on board. I hope Michigan does well. Um, all my buddies from back home, uh, pretty much all of them went to Michigan. So uh, you know, I I hope Michigan does well. I grew up with them. I love them still. So, um, but yeah, but yeah, I kind of defected there, got out of town, and, <laughs> and went two and a half hours down the road. We're speaking to Connects defenseman Ian Cole here on the Halford and Ruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Ian, I wanted to ask you about, uh, of all the guys that you've played with, the one right now, Noah Juleson, because he's got a lot of praise from the coaching staff lately, particularly Rick Tockett. I referred to him as a sponge yesterday. He meant it in a good way, not in a bad way, just so we're clear. But, um, you know, it's a guy that at 26 is starting to get those first-time NHL reps to being a regular, playing more, being trusted with more, and you get to play with them on occasion. Um, how do you go about you know, trying to mentor but also play with and be a teammate and also you know, nurture a guy like that who's at a stage of his career where he's trying to be a full-time NHL defenseman really for the first time? Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to kind of try to help mentor and help bring along, you know, quite a few young defensemen. And, um, you know, I think that there's, you know, there's a balance there. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to go into that, you know, relationship thinking, I know everything. I'll tell you exactly what to do in every situation, right? There's a feel, um, you know, there's a play selection for every different player that's going to work for one player, but not for another. Like Quinn Hughes can skate his way out of pretty much any trouble he could ever find himself in. And like, I'm not going to, so I need to make sure that I put myself in a good spot with reads and execution. Um, that I know, hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do 18 cutbacks and skate away from somebody, right? So, you know, with Jules, it's about kind of narrowing down that play selection. Hey, what works for him in in, in those certain situations, and then being uh, as a teammate and as a partner accessible to talk through those things and and figure out kind of what works and what doesn't, um, making sure our reads are are coherent and on the same page. Um, and then just, you know, Hey, 
telling them, hey, man, that was great. Do that more. Hey, let's let's fix this a little bit and and let's kind of focus on doing that or or, or whatever the case may be. So, listen, Jules is he's been playing great for us. He's done a great job. You know, he's young. You know, he's not necessarily inexperienced because he's an older older guy, but he's just in the NHL. He's a little bit more inexperienced. But you know, it's in terms of just talking through things, getting on the same page, making sure our reads are good. Um, he's been, uh, you know, his, his development has been exponential since he's been here. So, um, I guess that speaks to him being a sponge. So that's, 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 I think that's accurate. Ian, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. You got, you got practice today. The coach isn't giving you guys another day (laughs) off, so you got to get back to work today. Uh, and then good luck tomorrow against the Florida Panthers. And then you guys head out on the road for four games in six nights. Thanks for uh, joining us this morning. Yep, yep. Thanks for having me, fellas, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. That's Ian Cole, Canucks defenseman here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. You're listening to the best of Halford & Brough.